Life is back on, sports bettors, and BetUS has your NBA, NHL, NBA, UFC, PGA, and yes, NFL betting lines up for their 27th year and live betting on all of it. Log in to BETUS.com or call 800-792-3887. That's 800-79-BETUS. BETUS for 125% bonuses with the promo code the Zone 125 You bet, you win, you get paid. BETUS.com. Chicago Cubs, who is your long-haired daddy out on that mound? Feels good. Corbin Burns, Rowdy. Corbin Burns on the mound last night. For the Milwaukee Brewers. And the Chicago Cubs did not know what hit them. 15 strikeouts, no walks, 10 strikeouts in a row. Ties history. Corbin Burns, 10 Ks in a row, 15 strikeouts, no walks. Brewers win, beat the living hell out of the Chicago Cubs. Down at American Family Field South by a score, Rowdy, of 10 to nothing. What do you think, kid? What do you think, Rowdy? Well, I think if we were ever wondering if we've ever seen Corbin Burns A stuff, I think we saw it last night. I think we did. Corbin Burns, simply the best. This guy is insane, man. Wow. I'm going to have to uh, pull up the futures to see if he uh, moved the needle last night. Yeah, I saw a lot of posts after the game. Cy Young, Corbin Burns. Corbin Burns, man. And guess what? Yeah, it changed? It has changed. Corbin Burns now the second best odds to win Cy Young. Yesterday he was fifth. Yeah, what a jump. Uh, Wheeler still first? Wheeler still first. Walker Bueller, who was in second, now third. And then it's Woodruff in fourth. And uh, where's Freddie? Was he a top 15? Freddie Peralta is currently 8th. 8th? Top 10, baby. Josh Hader currently 12th. Jesus, look at the flamethrowers for the Milwaukee Brewers. Corbin Burns, what a night last night. Absolutely incredible. And if you heard the sports flash there, he didn't even know he made history, or tied history. Crazy, Rowdy. They got the arms. They got the arms to do it, man. Last night was magical. How long did that game last, by the way? They were cruising through innings. That was not a long game. Yeah, um, probably a little less than three hours. Love it. Love it. Corbin Burns, a dynamo. A dynamo. Levels tonight. 0-2. And a cold strike three. Down he goes. Burns with strikeout number 15. And no walks. And he's got that record, too. How about eight shutout innings? Four hits for Corbin Burns.
Wow, Rowdy. Absolutely oh, wow. Geez. Insane. Yeah, and then that first inning for the Milwaukee Brewers, that's what you call a hit parade. Yeah, I mean, 7 to nothing right away. No problem. Were you, were you a little, I saw you, or was it 8 to nothing? Was it 7 to nothing? No, I forget. 7 to nothing after the first. 7 to nothing. I saw you tweeted out there, Rowdy. Were you a little nervous about the Chicago Cubs coming back? Because the Brewers, they were once down 7 to nothing to the Chicago Cubs in the first inning. Brewers went on to win. Were you nervous at all, all about the Chicago Scrubs coming back? No, that was sarcastic. <laughs> I know it was. And, yeah, the game was two hours and 58 minutes. Wow. Now that's a beautiful game of baseball right there. That's how you get her done. Welcome in. Good morning. Absolutely incredible from Corbin Burns last night for the Milwaukee Brewers. What we witnessed was nothing short of a spectacular. Only Aaron Nola, who did it earlier this season, actually, to have 10 straight strikeouts, and Tom Seaver. Back in 1970, uh, the only other two pitchers to ever do so. Absolutely incredible of what we're seeing. And Corbin Burns, uh, a lot of stuff going on. First rowdy, what, he had 58 strikeouts before issuing his first walk earlier this season. Now he's had 10 straight uh, strikeouts. Corbin Burns uh, making and tying a lot of history this year. Did you ever think in your years of being a Milwaukee Brewers fan, you'd be seeing not only one, but two, not three, but four pitchers now in the top ten for the Cy Young candidacy? Well, no, not really. Because always as a Brewer <laughs> fan, you're always talking about how you had all the guys that could hit the baseball, all the sluggers. And 2011 was their best uh, rotation, in my opinion, for the Brewers of the last 20 years. Yeah. And that was Zach Grinke, Giovanni Gallardo, and Sean Markham were their top three. Obviously, these top three, insanely better than that. It's absolutely insane. It is It is insane. Corbin Burns, a uh, first-time All-Star this year as well. Burns just get, what a what a career year for Corbin, Corbin Burns. All 10 of Burns' strikeouts during the streak, by the way, came on a swinging strike three. That's uh, Burns had the nasty last night, Rowdy. Oh, of course. That's the best he's looked all year. <sighs> Now, granted, the the Oof. Chicago Cubs are a shell of what they used to be, but it seemed like every single pitch the Cubs were either confused by or way out of their league. Yeah, it doesn't. Listen, the Cubs are a shell of themselves. Does not matter though that they all last time I checked play are playing for the Chicago Cubs for a professional baseball team. Some of those guys maybe aren't cut out to be pros, but they still are at the pro level. Route. Yeah, here's here's some of the notables for Corbin Burns in that start. 10 straight strikeouts to tie a major league record. Mm -hmm. Career high in strikeouts, 15. He had the most strikeouts with a th without a walk in Brewers history. He had 30 whiffs, so 30 swings and misses. That's a new career high. Wow. And he's the first opposing pitcher against the Cubs to have 15-plus strikeouts and no walks. <laughs> and on top of it, it was the biggest shutout win versus the Cubs in Milwaukee Brewer franchise history. Wow. Absolutely incredible. One more one more for Corbin Burns. One more for you, brother. That's for you. Incredible, Rowdy. Corbin Burns was just a dynamo last night. Corbin Burns. Can you do you have those stats again that you just read? I wanted to I wanted to write those all down and celebrate this greatness because I have a couple too that I wanted to uh, get out there in the ether. Uh, what was the? Uh, do you have them again in front of you? Yeah, ten straight strikeouts yep. to tie a major league record. Yep. Corbin Burns career high in strikeouts, fifteen. Yep. Most strikeouts without a walk in Brewers history. Yep. 
He had 30 swings and misses in that game, which is his new career high. And he's the first opposing pitcher against the Cubs to have at least 15 strikeouts, no walks. And then the bigger one that was for the team was biggest shutout win against the Cubs in Milwaukee Brewer franchise history. Is that a tweet you have? Yeah, it was Brian Anderson's from last night. Could you could you DM that to me? I, w- I just want to I just want to look at it, possibly like frame it after the show and put it up in the studio or something. Thank you, appreciate that. Uh, Corbin Burns, man, uh, Corbin Burns. Also, uh, let's see. Last night, just had Garrett Cole for the record of most strikeouts while throwing less than 100 pitches in a game. Here's the question I have for you, Rowdy. So we started out with the positive. I I wanna I wanna. I want to ask you this and then see if it was a little sacrilegious from uh, the Brewers legend, the manager that is Craig Council. Holby Milner came in to close out the game in the ninth. Corbin Burns sat at 99 pitches, and what he was doing at 15 Ks, obviously. What did you think on Holby Milner coming in to close the game out? Well, quote unquote, close the game out instead of having Corbin Burns finish it off, or Justin Topa, who was back from the uh, 60-day IL? Well, to sum it up with one word, ridiculous. <laughs> you have you have a guy having a career night, less than 100 pitches. It, how impressive is that? He's less than 100 pitches through eight innings, and he has 15 strikeouts. And still, one, that's pretty hard to do just in general with that strikeout number. And then, obviously, he's throwing the ball well because he's in there for eight innings. I don't get it. When they were warming up <laughs> and in the eighth inning and he had runners at the corners and he ended up striking out the last hitter, I thought, oh, if they score a run, they'll bring in. It's a perfect situation to bring in Justin Topa, a guy that was really good out of the bullpen for him last year, had an elbow injury and hasn't pitched all year this year. That would be a perfect game if they if he gave up a, a run or so there just to get him in with like a 10 to 1, 10 to 2 type lead. Mm-hmm. Perfect situation, low leverage. First, uh, first uh, game of the season. It's against a, a terrible team in the Cubs. Well, then Corbin Burns strikes out the the next batter. It's now ten to nothing, going into the last inning, and you don't trot him back out there for the bottom of the ninth. Now, I would have understood that if you wanted to get Justin Topa in there just to give him an inning. In a low leverage yeah, situation, that was his first time back, right? Like that's he was called up yesterday. Yeah, he was activated. He was activated today, I believe. Yeah, or yes, yeah, he was activated yesterday. for yesterday's game. So he was he was there ready. So I would have understood it. Now, me being a competitor, if I was Corbin Burns, I'd still be quite upset because I'm having a career day. Let's add a complete game shutout to it. it. Like counts, go sit down. But nope, they don't bring in Topa. They bring in Hobie Milner, a guy that. Probably will be sent back down to AAA this afternoon once they activate Josh Hader. Yep. Hobie Milner. We got a couple of messages here. Uh, True Advisor, a guy on Twitch.tv, search my name, Ebo says, hit the follow button. He says, if Burns is dealing like that in the playoffs or even remotely close, I hope the quote-unquote legend, that is Craig Council, makes the right choice and lets Burns finish. And then Muzz, I, you yeah. know, we we talk about a lot of the White Sox fans that we hear are on this station how they want to fire Larusa even though they're Meh. winning. Meh. I feel like, and I for a hundred percent, if Corbin Burns was pitching like that, in like an NLDS, and they pull him out in the last <laughs> inning, I personally would want to go down there and fire Craig Council. You would say you're fired. 
Well, yeah, it was a little intriguing to me that uh, Hobie Milner came in. And I, we all thought, Justin, well, if Burns was going to get pulled, which he did, I think we all were uh, under the belief, right, Rowdy, that it would have been Justin Topa to get his first action this year. It only it only made perfect sense, but that's why they didn't do it. Uh, but we're going to, I mean, head-scratching aside just on that, that's not going to let us ruin uh, some good emotion and a good night that was Corbin Burns setting a – or tying a, a a record. No, I mean everything else. They scored ten more runs. Corbin Burns threw eight flawless innings. Had set a bunch of records and a bunch of season or career highs. Yep. The only thing was that last inning head scratcher. Yeah, I mean that's it's a head scratcher. But here's the thing: we're we're not gonna let it deter us and bring us down. But it is something that's like, what are you, what are you doing, dude? Come on, counts. Let's go, uh, Rowdy. The 15 strikeouts were the second highest total in Milwaukee Brewers history, behind the one and only. Ben Sheets, who struck out 18 on May 16, 2004. Could have tied him. He definitely could have. He was sitting at 99 pitches, had a whole, you know, uh, top of the ninth to go. But, nope, Hobie Milner, or bottom of the ninth, excuse me, to go. And Hobie Milner came in. and uh, He was averaging just over 12 pitches an inning. Crazy. So, I mean, was, it, one, was one inning four pitches for Burns? Yes. Yeah. So, in, in theory... If you go by averages for through the first eight innings, he would have been out of there at around 112 pitches with the complete game shutout. Absolutely and incredible. Potentially 18 Ks to tie Ben Sheets' record. Oh, wow. Ben Sheets, do you think Ben Sheets was sweating it out watching last night? You you know someone's like, yo, dude, some young flamethrowers coming for your record. You think Ben Sheets tuned in was like either cheering for him or saying, come on, Counts. Maybe, maybe Conspiracy Theory Thursday, maybe Ben Sheets called up Craig Council and said, yo, Craig, let Hobie Miller take a little action. Get him out! Get him out of there! I gotta keep that record. I'm gonna go on a, <laughs> out on a limb and say Ben Sheets didn't even know what was happening. <laughs> That's what I'm kind of thinking too. Yeah, ben Sheets 2004 still holds the record, uh, 18 strikeouts. Corbin Burns though, wow, just 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 incredible. We own Rowdy the Chicago Cubs. Cubs, you just stink. 12 and three against the Cubs in 15 games. Hey Cubbies, who's your daddy? Corbin Burns and the Milwaukee Brewers. By the way, speaking of who's your daddy, the Atlanta Braves took down the Cincinnati Reds again, 8-6. to six. Brewers now eight games up of the Reds in the NL Central and 23 games above 500. The question is, Rowdy, can they get to 100 wins this season now? And then looking ahead to this afternoon's game, you originally had Corbin Burns slated, obviously, against Jake Arrieta. And yesterday, if you're listening said, yeah, that's obviously the Brewers have to be a heavily favored team in that game. Yeah. And then the Brewers had a TBD. No one was announced yet and now? for this afternoon. But Kyle Hendricks was announced for the Cubs, who is their ace of their staff. But the Cubs, unfortunately for them, draw Brandon Woodruff this afternoon. The big woo. Brewers, Brewers could be going for a clear-cut four-game sweep. It's on the horizon. Hopefully the weather's okay. But I know who I can talk about Jordan Love with right here, and that's Rob Reichel from Forbes.com and Conley Media. Robbie! Well, it's going to be the summer of love from here on forward, my friend. Are you feeling the love today, Robbie? I feel like I haven't talked to you in forever for some reason. It feels good, buddy. What's new? Yeah, it, it has been a while. Seven seven days is too long for us. <laughs> we we too- can probably start setting up like... Weekend chats and Tuesday night uh, dinners or something, right, Evo? I, Rob, I'm down, dude. I'm totally down. Uh, Robbie, you know, very sophisticated Rob Reichel joining us right now. Just looking at your Twitter account, Rob. I always chuckle when I uh, scroll through at Rob Reichel. My man, freaking love it. Rob, let me ask you, brother. 
Uh, real quick before you dive into the Packers, I know you got some strong feelings about the Brewers legend uh, manager that is Craig Council. Corbin Burns, 15 strikeouts, zero walks. He had 10 in a row. He was sitting at 99 pitches. And for the ninth inning, Craig Council puts in Hobie Milner. What did you think of that, Robbie? You know, I, I was okay with that. The, okay. game, the game's over. What, you know what, what? What cracked me up, Evil, is they showed Council about three or four times in that eighth inning last night in the dugout as Burns was approaching 100 pitches and trying to get out of that eighth inning. You know, he gave up a couple hits there in the eighth. And Council just had this pained look on his face. His head was buried. <laughs> you could tell it was it was agonizing to him that a pitcher was nearing 100 pitches, right? And even though he had 15 strikeouts and it was eight to nothing and at that point in time, and the, and the game was well in hand, and Corbin Burns was in the middle of a legendary performance for, for the Brewers. I think we all enjoyed it, except for Craig Council, because he was freaking <laughs> out about the pitch count again. And he had his head buried in his hands the whole time as it, as it got to 95, 96, 97 pitches. So, I, I, you know what, I hope I'm wrong, guys. I, I, you know, I was wrong on the bus, but I, I still think at the end of the day, when, when this team runs into the Giants, when this team runs into the Dodgers, the greatest differential is going to be the managers, and that's what's going to cost this baseball team. <laughs> I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong, Evo. But uh, I don't. I don't have a good feeling about it right now because otherwise, this, this is a this is a World Series caliber uh, baseball team. It's certainly a World Series caliber pitching staff, and they'll get the back end of that bullpen fixed and back by you know once this COVID <laughs> protocol nonsense ends. It's, it's, it's a hell of a no, baseball Rob, it'll team. Never end. I just, it'll never I end. just, I, 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 I think the manager is the fatal flaw. Rob, the nonsense will never end, by the way. Just, which, anyways, different time, different place. Robbie, my man, how about this nonsense? The Packers nonsense. It's a good thing that Rodgers isn't playing in preseason, right? Now we get to see Jordan Love. Yes, it's a good thing, right? A hundred percent. They don't need any, you know, Rodgers hasn't taken a preseason staff in a handful of years here, Evo. You know, they, they don't need him, you know, out there for three, four, five series. It, you know, it's, uh, football so much different than it was a generation ago, you know, back Back then, Favre played in, in some of these games. People probably remember, you know, there was a preseason game in, I want to say, 99. It was Ray Rhodes' year that, that Favre broke his thumb um, in, a, in a preseason game and, and then, you know, struggled you know, gripping the ball and throwing the ball in the early part of that season. There's there's just no no real upside, um, you know, to having Aaron Rodgers play. And, and undoubtedly, Jordan Love needs all the work and all the reps humanly possible here. He's probably going to play. 75, 80% of the snaps through the preseason. Banker will get the rest. Um, you know, I, I would tell fans to be patient. None of this stuff is going to happen overnight. I, I was looking yesterday, Evo, in Aaron Rodgers' first two preseason games, he was combined two of thir- or sorry, three of 13 for 14 yards is what he was in his first two preseason games. Three of 13 for, four, for 14 yards. Um, you know, so it's, it, it, it may not be super pretty right away. It, it, hey, it may be great. What we're, I, I can't wait for Saturday night to find out. It's, you know, I, I guess the positive from, from Jordan Love's standpoint is it's probably coming against one of the two or three or four worst defenses in football. Um, you know, so he, you know, he's not jumping in against whatever Tampa Bay's number ones or something like that. He's, he's you know, he's going to see a, a ridiculously bad defense. He's, he's going to get a ton of work next week and practice against another team, Evo, when the Jets come to town, which should be a blast. That should be a lot of fun. And, and then get that preseason game at Lambeau as well before the Bills in, in week three. So what, we're going to learn a lot about Jordan Love here 
in the next, what, 16, 17 days, Evo. I, I, I can't wait to find out. Yeah, same. Rob Reichel joining us right now, Forbes.com, Conley Media. Give him a follow on Twitter for all the good stuff, too, at Rob Reichel. So, uh, Robbie, I mean, beating the dead horse, obviously, of the story that is, excuse me, Rodgers and the Packers, yada, 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 yada. But there's other things happening, right? There's players trying to, you know, make the final cut. That's eventually going to happen here. What have you been seeing in all these practices, you know, leading up to the first preseason game? Who's who's kind of jumping off the charts uh, here for the Green Bay Packers that's catching your eye? You know, Evo, overall, I would say it's been a relatively quiet camp. I don't, you know, I, I remember back, for example, the like 09 when Michael Finley just jumped off the page and, you know, you, you, you could see he, he made that jump from rookie to second year where he was going to start you know, maybe taking this league over a little bit, and, and he did for a stretch at tight end. And I, I, I wouldn't say there's been a breakthrough player like that, you know, quite yeah. quite through the preseason. Now, maybe the preseason games changed that evil, but, you know, what, what I think is fascinating is, is there's a lot of jobs on the line. There's, there's some pretty close battles going on, and, and they're going to be determined here, you know, over over the three preseason games that, you know, we, we got a hint last week from Brian Gutekunst. He had a press conference late in the week. You're at left tackle, right? Which leads, which leads to a lot of uncertainty at the you know in the interior. Mm, 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 mm. Rob, Patrick, uh, John Runyon, Ben Braden. Those jobs are going to be won here, Evo, and you know, in, in over the next three weeks in, in the course of these preseason games. Evo, if Eric Stokes jumps off the page um, in some preseason games here, and if he's lights out, I'm not sure Kevin King gets that job back. Uh, you know, when he when he returns off off the puff from his from his hamstring injury. I guess theoretically Evo inside linebacker is open a little bit right now, but, but Campbell and Barnes have, have certainly kind of stolen the show there and, and, and seem to be locked in as, as the front runners at, at those positions. But but Evo, keep an eye on some rookies here. You know, it's, it's like I already mentioned Stokes. You know, keep an eye, for example. I mean, if, if Amari Rogers lights it up this preseason, there's – does, does he make it a Randall Cobb almost irrelevant on a game day? You know, if, if T.J. Slayton, who's at a good camp, continues to, to play at a high level, is he a guy you can get 30, 40 snaps out of, you know, on, on a Sunday and then get a nice defensive line rotation then working with, with him and Clark and, you know, Lowry and, and, and Tiki and those guys up front because they certainly need some depth there. So, I, you know, I would really keep an eye on the rookies. Evo, I, I, I think it was a really strong class that, that Gutekunst put together. Um, you know, they're, they're going to get a, you know, they're gonna get an immediate starter at center out of Myers, the kid from Ohio State. Rob, you're saying uh, that Brian Gutekunst, you're saying Gutekunst put together a strong draft class and Rodgers wasn't involved in the decision-making? This is blasphemy. Yeah, it, 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 isn't it shocking that, it, that, that Aaron wasn't involved in, in actually any of these drafts, Evo, and, and really any of the free agent moves? That the general manager has has, has uh, been you know taken part of since, since he got the job from from ten in January of eighteen, right? So How dare isn't you, it Ryan. amazing that, that 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 Aaron didn't sign off on either Smiths or Amos or Billy Turner back on that Tuesday in, in March of twenty nineteen? Boy, that's that's shocking, and, and this is somehow a Super Bowl roster, right, Evo? I almost had to hang up when you hit the dump button, Robbie. That was just disgusting what you said, that <laughs> Rodgers wasn't involved in any of that. Hey, <laughs> hey Robbie, something else Rodgers was not involved in was hiring the defensive coordinator, Joe Barry. I see a lot of players, I mean, obviously they're going to sing his praises, but uh, Joe Barry seems like to be having a good impact on a lot of these players, saying he's bringing a lot of energy and they're loving what he's doing. Have you seen like a different vibe from this defense from the Packers? Listen, Evo... 
I'm a curmudgeon. Okay, right? We all know that. No. I, you know, I, I, you know, I, I tell it like it is. I'm, you know, I'm probably too honest. I get in trouble at home for being too honest <laughs> and things to that effect. My my neighbors probably don't like me a whole lot. The mailman doesn't because I, 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 I tell it like it is. But, oh, I know but, how you, you know, feel about people, the. I know how you feel about the mail, Rob. By the way, did you get those tickets? <laughs> I, I I feel like the mail. I did get those tickets. Okay. Thank you very much. And okay. I feel like the about the mail like Kramer did in 1995. <laughs> that but the mail that, is information, that, Rob. It's information that, 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 that never that never gets old. Evo, Evo. Here's the thing, and I and I caution fans. Every story at this time of the year is how this player is in the best shape of his life. This guy came back faster and stronger than ever. This position coach is going to be an upgrade from that position coach. I'm going to tell you right now, the defensive coordinator they had last year and Mike Pettin was pretty damn good at his job. And he got them to number 10 in the league in, in total defense last year. It was the first time in a decade that they had cracked the top 10 in defense. I get it that Joe Barry's got all, all this energy, uh, yada, yada, yada. The players like him right now, um, in, you know, in terms of what they've seen from the scheme and his vibe and his energy – Patton was a crusty old guy too, Evo, and, and you know whatever. Yeah, but but Patton wasn't Patton wasn't hired to you know go to dinner with these guys and be the best man at their weddings and and things like that. He he was hired to get the most out of that defense. And and Evo, I I really thought they made a lot of positive strides under Mike Patton. Um, they closed the year last year incredibly strong. You know even when you think to the finish of the NFC Championship game when they picked off the greatest player in the history of team sport three times in that second half. So Joe Barry's got a lot to prove, Evo. You know, he, he was a flop at his other stops mm. as a defensive coordinator, most prominently. You know, I mean, he didn't have a lot to work with in Detroit. He had much more to work with in Washington. That did not go well. Um, he, he, hey, his butt is on the line, man. They, 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 are, they are all in for a Super Bowl. If you're going to make a switch at defensive coordinator when you have a top-ten defense, then to me, Evo, you better jump into the top five. And um, whether or not they're going to do that with Joe Barry remains to be seen. Right now, the you know, I, I, all indications are positive. Man, I think Joe Barry just cut you off, Rob. You know, what's going to happen if they give up 41 points to the Saints in the opener, right? I mean, again, let's wait and see. And, again, I, you know, I, I tend to be a little little crusty on some of this stuff. But, but let's see on Joe Barry. He's, he's got a track record that is not overly impressive, and he's got a lot to prove here with this football team. Uh, Rob, two more things before I let you go, my brother. Real quick on Devontae Adams. Now, I guess contract negotiations have kind of broken off, and you know he's arguably the best wide receiver in the game. Is this a bad thing the contract negotiations brought off, and they're going to put it to aside when the season gets underway, or is it something we should be worried about, or is it, hey, just just let bygones be bygones, let it play out and see what happens? Yeah, I, I, would, I would just say be patient, let it play out, there are many times in, in these seasons where negotiations with various players pick up late in the season. I, you remember last year, guys, they, they signed David Bakhtiari with about a month left in, in the regular season to that, to that record contract and left tackle. They've done that through the years, guys, with a lot of players. They, you know, they, they get to the end of the year and they see they have $8, 10 $12 million, $12 million of cap room left, and, uh, and, and, and they can – they can structure the contract in a way that it gobbles up some then of the 2021 cap and, and, and gives them a break there. Um, so I, I wouldn't rule out that, you know, that they go back to bat with Adams again sometime later in the season. You know, right, right now, Evo, obviously things are quiet and I think they're going to stay quiet over the first, you know, a couple of months of, of the season. But 
you know, at the same point in time, you you know, you caution Devontae Adams that, you know, the longer you put this off, the longer you put yourself at risk in a sport where contracts are not guaranteed. I mean, I, I look at that Dennis Schroeder who turned down all that money with the Lakers during the season. What was it, four years, $80 million. You know, he gambled on himself, right? And he wound up signing a contract yesterday with the Celtics one year for $6 million, right? So there's, there's a lot of risk, guys, on, on both sides. I'll just say this. The Packers, I think, have the hammer in this deal, much like they did with Aaron Rodgers. They can always tag at him and, and get him another year and then eventually trade him like the Vikings did with Stephon Diggs. So right now, guys, I, you know, I, I think the Packers probably have the upper hand in that. Rob, uh, one last one before I let you go, my man. Yesterday, the Packers celebrated their 102nd birthday. All-time favorite Packer for Rob Reichel for 102 years would it be who? Well, that's that's pretty much a no-brainer. I, I grew yep. up in my my last hero was Brett Favre, aka John Wayne. You know, on, on the football field. He, Howdy, Pilgrim. You know, he voted me. He he brought football back to this area. He brought football back to that city. Green Bay had become the Siberia of the National Football League, and. You know, you, you look around that place now, Evo, all these expansions, Title Town, the atrium, um, you know, the statues out front. I've talked to Bob Harlan about this many times, Evo. Um, Bob Harlan has told me they probably don't get all those things if it wasn't for Brett Favre. Robbie, I knew it was going to be Brett Favre. I just wanted to hear you talk about it because I love when you talk about Favre. <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 and I, you and I could do like a, a four-month show just on Brett Favre, Evo. Uh, he so, is. Forget, I mean, forget, forget four dude. hours here in the morning. We can go, we can go four months. Yeah, let's, let's just do it. Like, I don't want to have to wake up at you know, 4 a.m. to do it, though. Can we do it like an afternoon show or something? You, you, you pick the time. I'll be the first one in the studio. You got it, buddy. Hey, uh, have fun uh, going to, you know, the first preseason game. Have fun at training camp. You name it, Rob. We'll keep following along at Forbes.com. Conley Media, your Twitter account, at Rob Reichel, my brother. Take care. All right. You enjoy the game Saturday night. Thank you, See, you, see you, buddy. There he is, Rob Reichel, my man. I knew it was far, bro. I knew it was far. How about I, I think I could have had a pretty <clears throat> Excuse me, pretty good guess on that one, too. Yeah. Uh, we'll come right back. Talk a little Packers coming up. How about you? 102 years, Packers celebrated their birthday yesterday. Who's your fave? I'm still going to have to go with Brett Favre, too. Yeah, I got to go uh, Brett Lorenzo Favre. Life is back on, sports bettors, and BetUS has your NBA, NHL, NBA, UFC, PGA, and, yes, NFL betting lines up for their 27th year and live betting on all of it. Log in to BETUS.com or call 800-792-3887. That's 800-79-BETUS. BETUS for 125% bonuses with the promo code THEZONE125. You bet, you win, you get paid. BETUS.com. If some guy, and I know we are the unwritten rules of baseball, do you ever ever bring up the fact that a guy is, you know, accomplishing tying or going to, you know, break records, history, do you ever say anything to him or you just kind of walk away? Well, that's the thing, right? You always see like when a guy's got like a no-hitter, a perfect game and it's getting later into the game and you're in that 6th, 7th inning. <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah. okay, counsel. <laughs> Some managers will pull him. Others you see in the dugout all of a sudden, they're just sitting there by themselves. Yeah, they're just kind of Nobody's hanging out by themselves. Them. No one's talking to them. No one's really sitting around them. So no one's saying anything. But I think it's very obvious if you're that person. Yeah. No one's sitting by. What did I fart? Do I stink? Did I forget deodorant today? Like you guys like trying to say like more than six feet away? Like what's happening? Well, Corbin Burns had no idea that he struck out ten straight. No, no. I actually I had no idea I, when I came in. 
Shogger said something, and I was like, I was like, what did I do? Like, I don't even, I don't know. And I was like, what, why did it take forever? Why are we throwing the ball of the game? Like, what's what's going on? So no, I, I, I had like no clue. And, yeah, so they yeah. after it happened, they took the ball. Yep, authenticated. Yeah, you know, the Brewers already tweeted it out like ten minutes after they yeah. took it. Like the ball's already been taken, authenticated, and it's being sent. You know, uh, for safekeeping. So Burns says he had no idea. You guys believe it? You believe him? I I can just because think about the record. It's ten straight batters. That's over a course of four innings. Yeah. yeah. So like, I mean, one one inning was four pitches, right? If you're if you're sitting there the and then you, you strike out yeah. your first, you know, three hitters, in in theory, okay, you struck out three. Now you go back to the dugout. You watch the Brewers hit. Then you go back out there. You strike out three more, and then you watch people hit. I can get. I can see how you kind of lose track of how many you really struck out yeah. in a row, especially when you're playing a bunch of bums like the Cubs. They strike out a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Definitely bums. Corbin Burns, though, keeps talking about, you know, how special it was uh, strong, uh, tying the strikeout record with Tom Seaver and Aaron Nola. He's known as one of the better better pitchers in the game. And, you know, I think when, when Nola did it earlier this year, it was kind of kind of it was impressive. Like, to, you know, to rattle off 10 in a row is, is really tough to do. And it takes, uh, you know, some swings and misses, obviously, by the hitters. But to just stay in positive counts and and working ahead is, is the toughest part. And, um, yeah, so to be included in, in, you know, with a name like that and then what, what Noah did again this year is pretty special. Yeah, that's pretty crazy, man. It's it's it, In fact, it's really crazy that it hadn't happened since 1970, but it happened twice this year, especially when they've uh, gone away with all the sticky stuff. Right, Rowdy? Like, they've they've banned sticky stuff. I have well, noticed. Did, did Nola do it before they banned? It was in ban, though? What When was the date? I have to go look. I think it was. Uh, let me go look. But uh, yeah, I mean, when you, it was uh, six twenty five, twenty twenty one. Yeah, that would have been six twenty. Uh, I think that was just after. Yeah, because it wasn't at June. <sighs> it was in the. I think it was the early twenties. I think that was just after. I think it was June twentieth. I want to say or June tenth. One or the other. Whatever. Yeah. So he did, he did it. it after. He did it just after. But I think that also might coincide more or less with the strategy of the game. Yeah, and swinging for the fences more, hitting ho- more home runs, striking out more. Yeah, it's crazy that it hadn't happened since 1970, and then it happened twice now this year. Uh, Burns though talks about the Cubbies, and Rowdy, you had called them bums, and that's being polite. Thank well, I mean, you, it's thank you for being polite pretty much a AAA Cubs. team thank right you now. For being polite because one of us has to sometimes. Uh, Burns talks about the Cubs swinging early and often. Yeah, I think you know, for the most part they they were swinging early. You know, saw that in the first inning. I think every hitter swing at the first pitch and. We had, I think it was a five pitch in the first week. We knew they were going to be swinging early even after the beginning. So it was one of those things that we, we just kind of adjust a little bit instead of, you know, being more in the center of the play. Hey, let's go to the edge. Let's go to soft stuff early. And and uh, they were still swinging the bat. We just happened to, to get some swings and misses on early and then get deeper accounts. Burns was pounding the strike zone last night. And this isn't really too far off when jokingly calling the Chicago Cubs bums, but kind of not joking. When you look at that roster for the Cubs and what they're trotting out there consistently, the difference between them and the Pirates, who were believed to be the worst team in baseball going into the season and are one of the lesser teams in baseball currently, the difference isn't too much with the current rosters. No. Bombs. And again, that's being polite. Here is more from Burns talking about how he was able to pitch with a uh, well because he had a big lead. Brewers put up seven 
runs in the first inning. After we put up seven in the first, it makes it really easy to go out there and just you know, try to you know throw it over the plate. Even after scoring seven runs, they came out swinging the bats. So that's why we had you know a quick first there. And so instead of kind of leaving the middle, we said, hey, let's, let's just go back to our game plan, go to the edges, um, do what we do best, and you know it worked. And, and you know credit goes to you know Omar tonight. I think I shook him off one time, so he he called a great game. And I think we fell behind maybe five or six times, but other than that, it was uh, it was it was a good game. So let's go to the flip side real quick. How the mighty have fallen. What's up with Jake Arrieta? I mean, he's been yeah. trash. He's been trash <laughs> since the Phillies signed him. He just got annihilated. The Brewers own Jake Arrieta, and Corbin Burns owns the Chicago Cubs. Wow. Just crushing Arrieta. Uh, really big night, though. What's kind of lost in all this, Rowdy and RJ? A really big night. How about Omar Narvaez, dude? That home run? Nervaez was crushing yesterday. Four RBIs. I mean, a lot of people were. Yeah, but <laughs> Nervaez was the most crushing. Yes. Yeah, the four RBI, uh, that home run. Corbin Burns uh, talks about the. Or, I'm sorry. Eighth or top of the ninth? Eighth. The, uh, that was the ninth. Oh. Top of the ninth. Okay. That's when you that's when, or that's when you kind of. That's shortly were, after I. You were zonking <laughs> Shortly up. before I was like. <laughs> oh, Hobie Milner's coming but, in. But I mean, pretty much everyone in that first inning got a hit outside of. Even Yelly, that's yeah. it. <laughs> in a, so we're in we're in multiple group chats here, and one of the group chats is me, Ebo, and and Ben, producer for the Bill Michael Show, Young Ben, ben Kenny. Kenny, and he goes, "Isn't Jake Arietta hilarious?" Now he has a vendetta with Arietta. You like that rhyme? Yeah, because Arietta took a lot of cheddar from to, uh, the Philadelphia Phillies, which is his team. But we all know they pay a lot of money. So he took a lot of cheddar. Now Ben's got a vendetta. And oh, yeah, you got to send that one off to uh, Mitch and Madison. See if he'll send it off to. Uh, I'm gonna play that coming up, <laughs> Mitch. If you're listening, I got some special for you coming. But uh, that's why he doesn't like him because basically Arietta was a bust for the Phillies, and they paid a lot of money for him. Well, that's on them. And well, I thought they didn't spend money, according to Ben. No, they don't. <laughs> He sends us a message saying, isn't Jake Arietta hilarious? And then my response was, you know you're bad when even Christian Yelich is hitting you. <laughs> I laughed at that one out loud. Uh, let's see here. We did have a question about Yelly on the Twitch channel at twitch.tv. Search my uh, name at Ebo says at the follow button. Our guy Papa Pick said, should we celebrate Yelich finally getting a hit after 21 plate appearances without one? Sure. Hey, well, I mean, hey, hitting's contagious, hopefully. Hopefully, Yelly. Or oh, how sad is it that your MVP, not only is your team's MVP, but the guy that obviously won one in 18, should have won one in 19, just signed that huge deal going into the winter of, of 1920, and since then has been very, very underwhelming. But the fact that he goes one for four, which, I mean... No math expert here, but one for four is a two fifty average, and he raises his batting average three points. Right, one, that's telling me he's not hitting very well, and two, that's <laughs> telling me that he hasn't played in very many games since we're already in mid-August, and he's raising his batting average three points from getting a hit. How many DL stints or IL stints does he have now? Well, he just came off one with the corona. Well, he had COVID, and then he had the up and down back one where back he had one. multiple. Is that he had twice? three or two? So at least, at least, at least two. At least, uh, I'm gonna go three because I, I think it was two yeah. from the back, the back and, and yeah. one with the COVID. But the back one was like super long. So he's 
Yeah, it was longer than the 10 day. Let's see. I mean, I can pull it up here. Christian Yelich so far this year has 234 at bats. Normally, the standard season's about 600. The Brewers are now an even 197 and 197 all time against the Chicago Cubs after last night. 12 and 3 this season. The crew has now won all five series versus Chicago this season in eight consecutive games. Incredible. 197, 197 now all time against the Chicago Scrubs. Oh. There's a there's a seismic shift happening, my friends. The Milwaukee Brewers are gonna be the man on top of the mountain. Yeah. And then there's this. Speaking of men on top of the mountain, I just put the Twitter poll out there at Zone Madison. And uh, feel free to dive in, share your opinion at uh, 608-321-1670. Vote at Zone Madison. Rowdy was uh, busting down the numbers after Corbin Burns' incredible performance last night, that long-haired, handsome man. Corbin Burns is now second, signing candidacy. Brandon Woodruff, fourth. Freddie Peralta is eighth. Josh Hader, 11th. Will the Milwaukee Brewers have a Cy Young Award winner this year, boys? Yay or nay? No. I'm going to say no as well. Man. And yeah. the, for this is why. The, the reason why is kind of easy to me. Number one, you almost have too many cooks in the kitchen for Milwaukee. Yep. You have so many good starting pitchers and then Josh Hader that I feel like they're going to eat each other because we've seen that uh, beat writers in the past from Milwaukee cover don't the team necessarily day. like to vote for their players. Nope. And I just think in general, those three guys, not only for Wisconsin writers, but also nationwide writers could just eat themselves where, you know, half the writers might give one person a vote or the other half might vote for somebody else. I just don't know if that's going to be beneficial having that many good guys on a staff. Now on the flip side, you can say, well, the Braves of the nineties had a ton of Cy Youngs and they won Cy Youngs and they, they had a ton of really good starters, just like this Milwaukee Brewers team. So I guess you could have that argument. But I, we do know that Atlanta is a huge market. That's another thing going against the Brewers. Brewers are not a big market team here. Zach Wheeler pitches for Philly. And as much as people don't want to admit that they spend money, they are a huge market and they do spend a lot of money. They do. That, that unfortunately, is where Zach Wheeler pitches. Yep. Uh, we have a coming here from True Advisor on Twitch.tv. Search my name, Ebo says at the follow. Too many good pitchers and the small market will get overlooked. That's the, the Milwaukee Brewers. exact two yeah. reasons on why they're probably not going to get a Cy Young winner. Yeah, they're going to cannibalize each other, which, listen, Devin Williams, Devin Williams, Rowdy, his, you needed a microscope to see Devin Williams' ERA. And his whip. And his whip. Devin Williams was phenomenal. <laughs> the people who cover the team every day, watch them every day, travel with them every day, two of the beat writers, one good friend of the show, love the guy, Andrew Wagner. I don't know what he was smoking or drinking. He voted him second. There was another beat writer who thinks he's like king of Milwaukee Brewers coverage, which he's really good at what he does. Don't get me wrong. He voted him third. He's just wrong on that. Yeah. Third. Well, here's the biggest thing. And said, I overanalyzed it. What does that even mean? If you overanalyze it, then you should have known he should have been number one. You watch him every day. If you watch him every day, that just gives you more of a reason to say that's how incredible Devin Williams' two months were. It, you don't get much better than what Devin Williams did in that two-month stretch in yeah. 2020. Like, it's 
it's hard to be better than what Devin Williams did unless you were like perfect and like didn't give up any hits or didn't walk anybody. That'd be like uh, a writer uh, covering a beat for college football in the Heisman voting in a close year, voting for somebody in an area they don't cover. Usually, well, the guy's coverage is too good. Right. Usually, you just stay regionally and vote like that, and it sounds bad, but that's how you do it. Well, the, the other hilarious thing about if this... If it's Big Ten guy, you vote for the Big Ten guy. If it's your own guy, you vote for your own guy. Don't get it. <laughs> the other hilarious part about this is that at the end of the year, they had Best Reliever Awards, right? Yeah. And they'll have, like, the all MLB teams, and they'll take two relievers, Best Relievers of that given season. Devin Williams put out a tweet being frustrated that he came in as the third best reliever when numbers bear it out that he was statistically it was like splitting hairs between him and Liam Hendricks the closer for the uh, White Sox yeah so they clearly should have been voted the best two pitchers or relief pitchers in baseball in 2020 and I believe it was a Trevino from the A's that got in over Devin Williams well he quoted that tweet of them giving him the award and saying basically like come on and this said sports writer also quoted Devin Williams tweet and was like yeah this is just not right the same effing guy that voted him third in rookie of the year is now on his side saying that he he should have been a top two reliever in baseball that doesn't work it doesn't make any sense kind of really running out of time a little bit I know we want to talk about the Brewers roster here because a lot of guys are starting to come back Justin Topa was reinstated yesterday. Unfortunately, did not get to see him for the first time this year. Uh, was it a shoulder injury or an elbow injury? Elbow. Elbow for Topa. He was reinstated last night, and so we saw Hobie Milner close it out for the Brewers, which he'll probably be sent down, right? I'm going to imagine he gets sent down today because you know who is eligible to be activated today? Haterade. Josh Hader. And Josh speaking Hader. of people that are eligible to be activated soon, you have Josh Hader, who's eligible to be activated today. You have uh, Eric Lauer, who's eligible to be activated over the weekend. And then early next week, you have Adrian Hauser and you have uh, Gustave. Oh, Gustave. I mean, once all those guys come back, just looking at the the pitching staff just in general, Woo. even with putting Curtis on the IL with an arm injury, that's, that's fine. obviously they DFA'd uh, Sal Romano. But you're looking at the roster and you go, okay, here's the pitchers for the out of the bullpen. Brad Boxberger, he's going nowhere. Jake Cousins, he's going nowhere. Holby Milner, he has options. Obviously, he's going to be sent down probably today. Daniel Norris. He has no options. He was a trade piece. Go to the van down by the river. Honestly, they could probably take a chance in DFAing him because who's going to claim him at this point? Miguel Sanchez has been good. Hunter Strickland's good. You you have Brent Suter. Justin, Justin Topa just recalled and Devin Williams. Like that's a pretty tight uh bullpen. Yeah, there there's not a whole lot of guys where you're like, "Ah, just get rid of them." It's Holby Milner for Josh Hader here and Maybe, but I mean, Nor- Norris is one of your other lefties because they wanted a third lefty and Gustave's a righty, but he Gustave's throwing the ball really, really well. Obviously much better than Norris. Norris is tough. And then when you go on top of that, you look at who's going to be ready probably in the next week or so. That's still in AAA. That's the Travis Shaw's of the world. Yeah, the mayor. That's the Daniel Vogelbacks of the world. But 
Rowdy, Rowdy, Rowdy Telez. He did have a. He left the game with a sore knee. Yeah, they said it wasn't bad. I forget what the the, the injury quote unquote was. Do you remember what they said? Uh, I I just saw it wasn't bad. I saw he left the game with knee soreness. Yes, it was something like that. They, they're expecting it not to be too bad. So fingers crossed. And then also good news for the Brewers: Avisel Garcia, who left the game after a a pitch that hit him in the hand. No, that's the one I saw. Sorry, that's the one that wasn't bad. He he left the game. Yeah, it turns out it's just a bruised hand. That's he'll what probably I, that's the one I saw. he'll probably be out for today's game. Probably back in there on Friday. But yes, I think I saw from Rowdy Telez is uh, he left the game with just knee soreness. Yeah, I saw it was the the Avi that uh, he wasn't as bad as they thought. It but was. I mean, think about how wealthy the Brewers are to say, you know, if Rowdy Telez can't go because he's got a sore knee and we got to put him on the IL for ten days. We have Travis Shaw and Daniel Vogelback both playing in AAA, crushing the baseball right now. And when we hey. look at that roster, uh, Travis Shaw was a minor league deal. I yeah, believe. He yeah, he so was. So he so he can play in AAA with no with no penalties. Vogelback has options. Telez has options. Uh, so I mean, technically, you're not going to have to take a potential waiver claim on any of those players. Yeah, and just think if Christian Yelich would get his head out of his ass, which he kind of did yesterday, actually. Yeah. Well, I mean, Rowdy, he did better than he's done in the past, he right? He got one hit. That's fine. In the last 21 appearances, he didn't have any hits. <laughs> so we got to start somewhere, right? Well, he, you can just tell when he is making contact, it's such weak contact. Other than the hit. It's like he's hitting these weak ground balls or these weak pop-ups. Hey, we got to start somewhere, Rowdy. And last night, Yelly started. Let's, let's, you know, hitting hopefully is contagious. Let's hope it spans another hit today. What did he bat second yesterday? Did he bat leadoff? Like, you know how the like, double header? People, are, people are tweeting second at us. We were header. talking about it. They're like, yeah, Council's pulling out all the stops trying to get that bat to heat up. Well, there's one stop he hasn't pulled out yet. Drop him down to number seven. Yeah, a lot of people have been saying that. You've been on it for a while. Put his ass down to number seven. If he's got to be in there and you look at the roster that's currently constructed, there's no reason why he should be batting one, two, three. <laughs> Crazy to think about. Of our guy, Mike Clemens, who is up at training camp covering the Green Bay Packers. Mike, good morning, dapper Mike, dazzling Evil. Mike. Was that Jake Arrieta throwing batting practice last night at Wrigley? Is that what was going on? Um, I think that was actually like a like a clone of Jake Arrieta who just didn't quite have it anymore. I don't I don't know what that was, but it was funny for the uh, <laughs> the Brewers, wasn't it? It was like a pitching yeah. machine. Yeah, no, I I just saw some of the replay. I got you know back to the room late last night, but the replay was I'm like, honestly, that was Arrieta that gave up. I heard about all the runs, <laughs> but oh my god, I didn't realize Arrieta started. <laughs> Mike, we're officially in 2021 Bizarro World where yeah. it's hilarious to watch Jake Arrieta fail and fail so bad that even Christian Yelich is getting a hit off of him. <laughs> what world are we living in? Yeah, well, we're living in a – I'll tell you, here's the world is, is that I sat down and turned on HBO uh, at 9 o'clock Tuesday night, and I'm like, I can't believe – I mean, if you told me like three years ago, yeah – one night you're going to come uh, back to the room after a training, long day at training camp. Mike McCarthy is going to be the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. Uh, you're going to have a scene of Jerry Jones uh, on the phone with the uh, team physician about to getting an update on Dak Prescott while he opens up a water burger with a big <laughs> slice of cheese and a cup of coffee. And uh, then he gets out his little personal salt shaker and salts the whole thing. 
Like there's not enough salt on it already, Mike. Yeah, I know. And I'm just thinking, you know, this guy just he just lives his own world. He's got that big yacht, and it's having a, a Whataburger and a cup of coffee for for lunch. And then McCarthy has this team meeting, and he's trying to do something to put a little spark in the practices. So he says, all right, I'm going to introduce what's the mojo moment. All right, this has happened in practice in every game. Every game, there's a momentum shift, a change that can make a difference whether you win or lose. So we're going to start finding, trying to find that mojo moment every day at practice, every, every time we play a game. And then he plays a clip from Austin Powers <laughs> doing, you know, you've lost your mojo. That's my mojo. And I'm like, well, no, wait a minute. Remember the whole theme that they, the Packers talked about last year, that Nathaniel Hackett, the offensive coordinator, is kind of big into films and Star Wars and Austin Powers. He came up with the gold zone. I love gold. Yeah. So, you know, the gold member thing and all that. So it's like, well, hmm, that's Mike, an original idea there, I Mike. I think I How know why. That? I think I know why. Because around the same time that Hackett was going at it, there was Austin Powers, like the International Man of Mystery, got on Netflix. And then now, I think Big Mike's on to Netflix as well because all three are on Netflix right now streaming. So Big Mike must have been watching them. That's it. And that, uh, good to know that you know, you're getting paid all those millions of dollars and you're getting ideas for your team off of Netflix. Hey, okay. he, is hi- he is highly successful, Mike. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right. I, me- I, f- I remember that line. He always I has one eye line. on his Super Bowl ring and one eye on the Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was uh, the one eye on all you can eat buffet. Do you know that there was a guy named Greg Bernard? Remember, he worked for the Journal Sentinel, went on to the Boston Globe, and yeah. then Sports Illustrated. Greg's a, a buddy of mine. Anyway, Greg was doing some uh, radio hits, and he was talking about, God, have you seen how much weight McCarthy has put on? <laughs> And they were making fat jokes about McCarthy. Tiss, tiss, tiss. And it seemed like that happens to every coach, to Holmgren, to Sherman, and then McCarthy, you know, the cheese and the curds and whatever, right? <laughs> the rats and the, yeah, you name yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And, and the Packers PR staff called Greg and said, knock it off. <laughs> no fat shaming. Knock off highly the, successful were, head coach. They were listening. They said, knock off the fat jokes. Yeah. So if you get a call from the Dallas Cowboys today, you'll understand what's going well, on. Well, I would there. personally like to talk to Jerry Jones. I'm wondering why he's salting his Whataburger. There's already enough salt on it to, like, kill a horse. So <laughs> Now, I'll tell you where I'd really like to see hard knocks is not with the Dallas Cowboys, but with the Houston Texans. Yeah. You know, Dysfunction Junction, right. where they make the trade away the wide receiver. And then, you know, J.J. Watt says, I'm out of here. J.J. Watt. This is the best human being for a football player you'll ever find. Get me out of here. He goes to the Cardinals. And so, you know, they've got this new coach, David Cully. They've got 55 players. They just picked up the running back from the Colts the other day. 55 new faces wow. on this 90-man roster. I mean, these guys are lost. And, and, and they got a whole new coaching staff. Now, David Cully's been in the league a long time and part of pretty good organizations with the Eagles and then several years with John Harbaugh as an assistant with the Ravens. But now he's the head coach, and he's talking about what he's looking forward to Saturday night's game here at Lambeau Field. The thing that's going to happen in this first preseason game is going to be the first time as a staff that we're going to be able to do the game day the game day uh, thing about how we handle things, uh, you know, what happens from the press box, the communication, and those kind of things will be the first time that this group has all been together to do that. Well, wow. that's Mike. How many players? Fifty-five new players. You said. Yeah, yeah. John McClain from the Houston Chronicle is has been covering that team forever. As a matter of fact, there was one time that this has ever happened. You're in the press box. It's pregame. Packers are hosting the Houston Texans. It's about four or five years ago, and Ted 
walks out of the GM, the front office box, all the way into the press box. It doesn't do that. Didn't do that much, just to go up to John McClain and say hi, because you see, John started out like 22 years old covering the Houston Oilers when Ted was a linebacker and special teams player for the Houston Oilers and Bum Phillips. So Ted came over to say hi to his old buddy, huh. you know, John McClain. So John was on CBS Sports Radio the other night, you know, that we have uh, at night on the zone. And he said, yeah, we've got now 50, we're up to 55 new guys on this team. He goes, Deshaun Watson, the investigation of this thing is dragging on. So the league doesn't know what to do. But, you know, he's got 22 allegations, 10 cases that have been filed. They're not going to touch him. He's not going to touch the field this year. So they got Tyrod Taylor in there. And then they got this uh, Davis Mills kids out of Stanford, the rookie they picked up, I think, in the third round. And he talked about uh, hoping to get some playing time Saturday night against the Packers. We're kind of all new here, um, so we're all trying to learn the offense. I'm just happy if I get to play on Saturday, obviously, kind of go out there and show what I can do. I've always tried to pride myself that I'm a confident person, and you kind of have to be as a quarterback. You can't let those little mistakes phase you. The biggest thing on my mind is the next play, and that's the only one that matters. I've never been up to Lambeau Field before, so I've heard a lot of good things about it, so I'm looking forward to it. Now, Mike, um, I don't want to judge a guy from one sound clip, but he didn't sound like the most confident of guys. No, <laughs> that's what's going through the whole organization. We don't know where to go. We don't know who to talk. This is going to be a horrible team that's coming in. They're coming off a 4-12 and season. They're coming off a you know, place that you know, everybody's leaving. And, uh, and, and you know, it's a first-year coach. It's a jumbled mess. And, you know, if the Packers look bad against this team, now they've got some good defensive line players with the Houston Texans. But, you know, that's just a little preview. you got a mess of a team coming in here on Saturday night. But John's going to be here tomorrow night. I want to look forward to trying to hook up with him because he's always got such great football stories. So, you know, this ain't going to be about uh, Devontae and MVS. And um, Randall Cobb will probably get some, 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 uh, some snaps. But it's the Jordan Love Show and a bunch of guys who are on the bubble. And But that's, for me, that's what makes – you know, that's what yeah. I really like to see in preseason football. Same. These are guys who are going to try and make the team and could be, you know, your next stars. Like Termon Williams, undrafted, but was making it on special teams and ended up, heck, you know, helping you win a Super Bowl all those years ago. So here's, a, here, here's one race to watch for on Saturday night. After Aaron Jones, after A.J. Dillon, it's Kylan Hill, number 32. They picked up in the seventh round this year. Dexter Williams has been here now a couple of years out of Notre Dame. I don't know if he's going to make it. You know, LaFleur described him as hardworking. I don't know if the kid gets it. And he's, he made some mistakes last year in special teams. But that's the thing. This third running back behind Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon is going to be the kick returner. They're looking for a kick returner who can also pass block and carry the rock if those other two guys are injured. So Patrick Taylor's the guy to look for at number 27. He was out of Memphis. Then he breaks his foot, then re-injures it in camp. Now, the Packers held on to him, though, because if you saw him on the family night, man, he had a couple of big runs. And the thing that I can't get over, when I talked to him about this yesterday, I said, so what would it feel like to be out there under the lights, Lambeau Field, the rain, the crowd? He said, man, it was the best. He said, but you know what? I haven't been in a game in a year and a half. Do you know how many of these guys that are on the bubble, like Reggie Begleton, you know, the wide receiver, they haven't been in a game in a year and a half or two years. Can you imagine, 
any other sport, baseball or basketball, you've you got to have 22 guys with helmets and pads and to do this, and you're trying to earn a job now in a game. Maybe you get 12 snaps Saturday night. That's how tough it is to make these teams. So Patrick Taylor is known for, Aaron Jones talked about this, and so did Ben Sermons, the running back coach. This dude takes really detailed notes in the running back meetings. Uh, something at Memphis is uh, Coach Norville, he, he always preached um, being in tune to the little things and the little details that our uh, our minds was our, our, our biggest uh, asset. Uh, me, I felt like uh, taking notes, um, that's just a small thing, right? Um, so I'm able to take notes and understand what I'm doing. So once I get on, on the field, I'm able to play fast. You got a trapper keeper out there, Mike, at practice and it's just scribbles everywhere? I guess so, you know, but the, the, that's you. Again, when you start talking to these bubble guys, they end up being some of the the best, most solid guys as for characters, or they're smart. They're smart football players, and and that's what Green Bay goes out of their way to find. Some of those guys are, you know, if you're still here as an undrafted guy or a late round pick, and you've been here a year or two, and they're still waiting for you to. They're trying to find a you know a spot 51, 52, 53 for you in the roster. It's because you're those two things. You're either a good character guy, or or you're you're your smart football player. And so that's that's when you start looking at Ty Summers, and you know you say, oh yeah, you know you've seen him miss some plays when they, when he's had his chances to play inside linebacker. Sometimes he makes a big play, the next time he doesn't. He's a seventh round pick out of TCU, but you know special teams have stunk. Oof. Forever, pu in Green Bay. They're like in the low twenty, uh, low twenties over the last eight or nine years or so. And so they made the change at Sean Menenga, who I think is a guy that probably Petten. You know, Petten's a former head coach. He got this new head coach Lafleur. Lafleur didn't get the guy that he wanted, who went to the Saints for big money. Mm-hmm. So then they turned to Petten. Like, well, how about Sean Menenga? I work with him, in Cleveland. Bring him in. You know, Sean's a good, a knowledgeable football guy, but he's not a leader. He's not a, he's not attention detailed, and his assistant though this Maurice Drayton, this guy's all over it and motivational. And when you start hearing everybody from Mason Crosby on down for special teams, they're talking about how much they like this coach, how much they like what's going on in the meetings, how clear they understand when they've just got a couple of periods to work for on the field that the message is getting through. So you ask you talk to Ty Summers and say so. What do the Packers have to do to sort of change the culture of their special teams? I, mean, I think it starts with the mentality. Uh, you look at our rankings last year, and they were obviously not good, so there's only way to go is up. Um, I think uh, Mo's kind of bringing that kind of energy as well, you know, that intensity, attention to detail um, each and every day. And I think it starts um, with one day at a time, guys like myself, OB, Mason, JK, guys that are vets here, I'm um, kind of leading on the young guys by example, but then also vocally getting people fired up. Because um, especially for a guy in my position, I mean, this is what gave me a job. This is my my core job the last two years. Got some linebacker last year, but this is what gave me a job. So it's like help guys realize how important this special teams really is to giving guys opportunities and helps the team win ball games too. They were historically almost historically bad last year. Right, Mike, or was that two years ago when they? Uh, no, no, last year two too. Years last ago. year, two years ago. Yeah, yeah. No, last year too. They ended up finishing bad, and and then you know I've, I I played you that cut from Sean Menenga when the guy asked him about onside kicks and he didn't have the answer. Said I got to go look that up. Yeah, do you remember that? <laughs> well, not good. 
I think so, you can even point to Mike. We talk about the last decade for the Packers and their roster. I think a lot of people would say it wasn't a very deep roster behind Aaron Rodgers, but you can't really say that the last couple of years. And we're still talking about Sean Meninga in this way. Well, here's the other thing, though, too. It's like when it comes to uh, punt returns or kickoff returns. You know, Desmond Howard, Alan Rossum, Tremont returned some, Charles Woodson returned some, but really uh, Randall Cobb. But they haven't had like a, you know, like a standout yeah. return guy. And then you start thinking about guys around the league and how rare Devin Hester was. Uh, we, I was talking about this on the sidelines with, with a couple of guys yesterday as well. So I asked Goody about this. I asked Goody Kist about this last week Sunday. I said, is it hard to find these return guys? And he said, yeah, it is. And he, and I, he also admitted that you know, and maybe our blocking hasn't been what it should be the last couple of years, so they're trying to fix that with this Mo Drayton as special teams coordinator. But he said, you know, the other thing is that you get to 48 to 53 on the roster, and it starts getting pretty tight, and you don't have room to have just a return specialist. It's got to be somebody on offense or defense. It's got to be a wide receiver. It could be a defensive back. Or in this case, you know, at least for the kick returner, it could be the running back. So that's why we're keeping an eye on some of these things. Now, it'll be, it'll be Amari Rogers, the third-round pick, the kid that they think can play slot. They're going to give him a long, long look at punt returns, maybe Randall Cobb for emergency. And then, you know, like I said, that Patrick Taylor yeah. or some of these other guys, or Kylan Hill, 32, at running back, they might be the kick returner as well. So here's the other thing, the dynamic that works, is sometimes when you talk to t- guys like Ty Summers, you can find out what's going on in the defensive meetings. Like, you know, the big question is, to me, on offense, left tackle is going to be Elton Jenkins and for David Bakhtiari. I think John Runyon is your left guard. Um, But on the defense, the number one story for defense to me right now is corner because Kevin King is still on the sidelines with the hamstring. So that means you're putting out the rookie, Eric Stokes. And even though he's your first-round pick, he's a rookie. So who else are they going to put in that corner? And then the other thing is that they, they're supposed to have this star position, this guy, who, the corner slot, who roams all over the middle of the field like Woodson used to do back in the day. So one theory is if they move Darnell Savage to that spot, fast, experienced now, who's going to be back there at safety? Because they'll usually go two deep safeties with Adrian Amos. Could it be this Vernon Scott who's been hanging around? And we asked Ty Summers about that. Oh, I think he's right. We both went through the same thing at TCU under Coach Gary Patterson. Um, we're ready for anything. You know, I feel like it's uh, over there you create this blue-collar mindset of I'm going to find a way to get it done. Perfection is what needs to happen at all times. It's the only thing that matters. Reality, is perfection going to happen all the time? No. But I think what it taught us through that experience and then translating here is that we can always strive for perfection, recognize if we're just short, that we always have that desire to reach it, but we know that we know how to bounce back from not being perfect and how to recover and have a short-term memory. So I think absolutely if something happened and he needed to go in there, I think he would do exactly what it takes and help us win ball games. Hey, that's what you need, guys, right, Mike? The people that are multifaceted, the utility man can get it done, yeah? Yeah, and I'm thinking, oh, that is gold. That's gold. So then I start looking at my notes. I go, oh, yeah. Hey, Ty, Ty Summers, tell us about that 38, this Ennis Gaines kid. He's out of TCU. But, man, he saw he had some big plays the other night in the rain at family night. He's been hustling around the field. What can you tell us about thirty eight this defensive back Ennis Gaines? Oh man, Ennis, that dude 
if he hadn't had the injuries that he had, I mean, he is he's a stud. We call him Thump is a nickname, which Thump, as you can imagine, is coming down hit people. That dude is just a missile. Um, so I think he brings a lot to the table uh, with his ability. Now it's just, you know, it's all about up here. There's a lot of guys that are athletic like he is, but it's all about, all right, mentally, what can you learn? How can you adapt in the middle of a game, in the middle of a series uh, to make plays? And I think that's something that, you know, the more that you're in, at this level, you start recognizing and learn how to do that on the fly. I think that's something that once he fully picks that up and he can make that adjustment, he's as athletic as any of them, and he's fully capable of being a really good player in this league. I like the nickname, so, Thump. Oh, oh, yeah. Are you kidding me? So when you're watching special teams coverage against the Texans on Saturday night, you're looking for 38, the guy whose teammates call him Thump. You know, that's, that's when you start circling 38 on your roster at home and say, I'm going to keep an eye on this guy. <laughs> we, had a, we have a listener whose nickname is Stump, and he looks like a guy who was a stump. So if this guy's nickname is Thump, <laughs> then I'm expecting a guy to go out there to really be a big thumper. Right. Well, that's a guy to screen for. But go ahead. <laughs> that's funny, Mike. And Mike, when it comes to uh, you know Aaron Rodgers, he's not going to be playing in any preseason games, correct? Not at all. That's by his. I mean, he talked about that last year, right? I don't need the preseason. The first team doesn't need me and Devontae do not need, and Bakhtiari do not need preseason games. We can get ready for NFL regular season games in practice in a controlled environment. I mean, hell, he didn't even want that joint practice a couple of years ago because of some of the shots that the Texans took when they were up here yeah. two years ago. But Aaron sat down yesterday with the NFL radio, Sirius XM. You know, I do reports for them uh, on game day on Sunday, and Bruce Murray was here. So because it's the network, they get the one-on-one. And uh, Bruce asked this question yesterday of Aaron. When did you know what your future was going to be? When did you ultimately arrive at the conclusion? Mm, about two days before. Uh, training camp started. Uh, there was conversations in February. I mean, I went through the timeline in my press comments. So since February, I knew I was probably going to be away from the team for most of the offseason based on the responses I was hearing and then into March when nothing really changed. So I just, you know, worked on myself and traveled and had a good uh, good offseason, got myself in shape should uh, the prospect of playing again uh, present itself. I was still about 50-50 a few days before. I mean, David likes to give me some because he's like, how come you didn't tell me you know, you're coming back? And I said, honestly, I didn't, I didn't make a final decision until a few days before camp. Wow. I mean, we, we pry a little more into the life of Aaron Rodgers, eh, Mike? Yeah. And, you know, the guy has been lights out since day one in practice here at camp. He's just been awesome. The, the throws that he's made, uh, I mean, usually it takes a quarterback. It used to take Favre. About two and a half weeks to start getting it going. I mean, Rogers was on the first day, so even though if he claims that he didn't make up his mind until 48 hours before he got on the jet and you know flew the private plane from L.A. into Green Bay, he certainly was in shape and was ready. But here's a funny thing. I mean, I've we've run into him a couple of times more than usual because normally the players they they leave practice, they're in their cars, they park in the gated parking lot, they go through the players' door, we go through the loading dock or the media door and we meet up in the auditorium or you know in the locker room in years past so uh bakhtiari gave him that golf cart right yeah well he doesn't want to park that thing outside in the player's parking lot so <laughs> he's and you know they're building this yeah, underground, that's why I got parking. underground parking i swear to god that was one of the bargaining chips for him to i come agree back. i think i'm right there I with swear you to god. i'm right there I with swear you to god so here's the story 
You know, back in the day, after Holmgren left and, and then Ray Rhodes, under Mike Sherman, you know, Brett, whatever you need, buddy. Well, you know, Bob has built this new structure here at the South End. I'd kind of like to park in that loading dock to keep the truck out of the rain. I don't have to deal with the autograph fans and all that. No problem. You, you and I both. So Brett Favre and Mike Sherman parked right out around the corner from the from the uh, player from the locker room doors. You see this on the tour when you're walking by there. They show you you know what's going on. It's right outside the media auditorium, mm-hmm. and you walk through the tunnel out to the field. The March sixth, two thousand eight, the day after Brett did that retirement thing, yeah. right? Yeah. His name came down. Ted Thompson's went up. And it was Mike McCarthy <laughs> and Ted Thompson with the two parking spots in the loading dock. And it's been that way for 16 years. Mm. And today, it's Brian Goodekinst and Matt LaFleur. They've got the two parking spots because all the players, they park out in the parking lot. But Aaron Rodgers has now got his little golf cart you know, whizzing by. And so they're letting him park that in the loading zone, that like by the funny. forklifts. Yeah. You know? And it's just like, you know, Brett used to be where the 4 by 4 Here's Aaron with his little golf cart. Now you that's know, he's, funny. He's in the loading dock, yeah. Mike, a pleasure as always. I could listen to you to uh, talk on and on about the Packers all day. You just have a great way of just telling the story of what's happening at training camp. But, alas, our time has come to an end for today. We'll catch you on the Bill Michaels Show. We'll follow along. Mike Clemens NFL on Twitter. All your reports, amazing stuff, Mike. Have fun and especially enjoy the first preseason game coming up on Saturday. I will. Thanks, Ebo. See you, Mike. There he is, Mike Clemens, our guy, Packers insider. That man can tell a tale, Rowdy.